You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Uh, well, we're going to take our text once again today in 2 Kings chapter number 18. This is going to be the second part of a series that we started on last week. I encourage you to go back and listen to the message from last week uh, as we talked about uh, I entitled the message of the series initially, Surviving the Coming Siege, but, uh, but since then I've revised it a little bit, and I want to call it Surviving, Thriving, and Reviving <laughs> in the Coming Siege. Uh, because praise God, we don't just have to hang on and hold out. Praise God, we can still move forward, do something for God. We can thrive. We can see revival. And uh, I believe that, amen. But if we're going to do that, it's important that we, uh, number one, the message last week is keep our eyes on Him. I'll mention one more thing about that in just a moment. But then this week, that we stay the course during the crisis. We stay on course during the crisis. In 2016, three men uh, went out to sea on a 23-foot boat. Not long into the trip, their engine failed, and the natural force of the wind and the ocean current caused the vessel to drift off course. They had no radio to call for help, so they hoped that maybe just some ship, as they uh, no doubt went into some shipping lanes as they drifted, they were just hoping some ship would see them along the way and come and save them. But that didn't happen. They were adrift. They drifted for 500 miles with, no, with seeing no one. They've drifted for another 1,500 miles without, any, without ever seeing anyone. Finally, 3,500 miles and two months later, the drifting vessel was found with only one crew member still alive. Have you ever lost power in your Christian life and the natural forces of this world and your own sinful nature begin to cause you to drift off of God's uh, ordained route and plan and path for your life? It happens very easily, drifting. See, they didn't end up 3,500 miles away in a day. It took a couple months. And see, for us as God's people, there's a principle that we've got to understand that there are natural forces at work against us in this life that we are. Number one is our own sin nature. We were all born into this world as sinners. So uh, as the songwriter once put it, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Uh, we are prone to wonder. We're prone to drift. But people don't end up in a terrible mess overnight, people. They, we end up in a mess gradually. It's a drifting process. So it's important that we stay on course during the crisis. See, just like a ship at sea, we have a charted course to follow. The Bible is our navigational system. See, because just like a ship at sea, forces are trying to push it this way and pull it the other way. And I'm telling you, there has to be somebody that keeps it on course and they've got to have something to go by to make sure they are on the right course. 
And the Bible is our chart. The Bible is our navigational system. The Holy Spirit of God, He is like an engine who powers us through the contrary forces of nature. Prayer is our radio to keep the communication alive between us and a very present help in the time of trouble. The truth is, with the strong winds of the world and the powerful currents within each of us, we've always had a tendency to drift. Now, during the reign of Hezekiah, which is where we take our text for this series, the northern kingdom of Israel, now called Samaria, had already suffered spiritual shipwreck. They had already turned from God and been taken captive by the Assyrians. And Hezekiah could see that Judah was straying toward the rocky shores of neglect and rebellion on the same path as those that had come before them. Now, with the Assyrian army burning through the Middle East like a wind-driven wildfire across a dry prairie... He knew that God's people needed to get back on track. As we look around us today and see the enemy on the move, we are con considering in the Word of God in this series some tried and true principles in God's Word that will not only help us to survive, as I mentioned, but to thrive and experience revival in the midst of adverse circumstances. Regardless of who's in the state house, regardless of who's in the White House, uh, regardless of any of that, regardless of whatever uh, may come against us, folks, I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God, we can not only survive, but we can thrive and we can experience revival in the midst of all of this. See, looking ahead, we can see the victory that these principles lead to. We're talking about the Assyrian army. That's what's going on. And I wish you, if you just take some time to study the ancient Assyrians, uh, it's amazing to me how little... Uh, we just generally know about them, but, but history knows much of them. They were an amazing and the first true standing army. Masters of the siege, masters of terror. Uh, and they would come against these cities just like they were going to be coming against Judah in the days to come. And man, it was like no contest. These dudes, I mean, listen, uh, for those of you that maybe follow college football at all, I mean, listen, it would be like Alabama playing the Elk Point Huskies in a football game. That's the, that's the Assyrian army against uh, anybody they came against. Uh, they just, they, they, were, they were mean, they were rough, they were tough, they were skilled, they had the technology on their side. I mean, it was, it was just no contest. However, as King Hezekiah was directed to direct his eyes and the eyes of the nation of Israel, he said, you need to look up, look to the Lord. Today's message, the way we're going to stay on course is to look within. Look up, look within, and we know that by doing that, these principles led to 185,000 Assyrians as they surrounded Judah being killed by the angel of the Lord in one night. And, 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 and the, king of us, or the, the, uh, the general and the king uh, sent a cherub hearing a rumor from his own country that there he was, he wakes up, 185,000 of his soldiers are dead. Then all of a sudden he hears a rumor that he says, man, I've got to get home right now. Not, listen, not one arrow was ever shot. 
Not one punch was ever thrown. Not one stone was ever hurled. And the battle was won. And a cool context, I wish for you Bible students I could encourage you to do this. After God brought the victory to the people of God is when Psalm 46, Psalm 47, and Psalm 48 were written. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. And that's Psalm 46. I like Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Amen? I mean, and, and honestly, it's so cool because by the time you get to Psalm 47 and Psalm 48, they're Messianic Psalms, which are reminding them and reminding us today that the king is going to be coming ruling on this earth soon. <coughs> Amen? And he's not Republican and he's not Democrat. He's the Lord of glory. Amen? He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. So, these principles are tried and true. See, you and I do have an enemy today. We have an ultimate enemy, which is Satan. And our battle is not with flesh and blood, but we understand that Satan uses flesh and blood. We have an enemy who wishes to destroy us. We have an enemy who wishes to destroy your home, your marriage, your relationship with your children. We have an enemy who despises the church and wants to divide the church of God. We have an enemy who would divide and dispose of the godly principles on which our country was founded. And this enemy's on the move. This enemy's made great strides. Sadly, this is leading many to despair. But not us. <laughs> not us. Why? Because we depend upon God. We depend upon the Almighty the sovereign, I mean, the, the, the all-wise God. Therefore, we don't despair, but we depend on God. We are enabled and encouraged and reminded of our purpose and power in this world. Our purpose hasn't been rescinded, and our power hasn't been taken away. Amen. We still have the power of God. We still have, hallelujah, the promises of God. Therefore, we can and will succeed. Now, that success may not look exactly what you may think it looks like. I'm not saying that success looks like you, uh, you know, driving a, uh, a new, uh, you know, Rolls Royce or something up to church next Sunday. <clears throat> this, this isn't a health and prosperity gospel. These are principles that our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world have lived by and lived in victory. Now, sometimes those vi that victory leads them into refugee camps. Sometimes that victory leads them into uh, seeing their families killed before them. Sometimes that victory includes see, I mean, uh, being uh, uh, persecuted for the cause of Christ. But guess what? You study history and you find out how God has moved and how God has blessed through all of that. <clears throat> you say, well, I, I was encouraged until you mentioned all that stuff. I'm just here to tell you that whatever may come, God will give the victory. You know, it reminds me, I've heard this on uh, many occasions. I wish I could art articulate the exact quote, but I can think of different ones throughout the years that have been uh, threatened with death. I think about a, a preacher just back, I mean, this was just back, I believe, in the 1940s or 50s. 
a, uh, uh, there was a man came into the service and threatened to shoot uh, the preacher right in the middle of the service uh, because of him preaching against alcohol and different things of that nature, if I remember correctly. Uh, but that preacher just stood there and said, Sir, do you really mean to threaten me with heaven? <laughs> do you really mean to threaten me with heaven? So last week's principle was looking upward. The Bible says in Psalm 121, I want to say just a couple more things, a couple things about that before I move on. So Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, and he answered and said, Fear not. Now, this is just a little while before this. The Syrian army was surrounded two men, Elisha and his servant. And as he looked out around him, let me ask you if you've ever felt like this, okay? Here's Elisha and his servant in a valley. When Elisha's servant walks out early that morning, he looks up and the entire hillside, they are totally surrounded on every side by a great army. These two men. See, and that's the way we can feel today. Especially, as I mentioned last week, I'm not going to preach this again, uh, but make sure you're looking in the right place. Make sure you're spending more time looking in God's Word than on YouTube. And in uh, this, this or that podcast or whatever else it is, uh, in other words, you look around and you're like, oh my goodness. They were surrounded. And then you, you go read, it's a great chapter there, 2 Kings chapter number 16. Uh, the Bible says the servant ran in, in, into to there to tell Elijah. He said, Elijah, he said, alas, my master, uh, how shall we do? In other words, he was saying, what are we going to do? You, ever, you, you feel like that? There's a lot of people feel like that today. What are we going to do, preacher? What are we going to do? But I love the prayer there uh, in uh, verse number 17, the Bible says, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Now you say, wait a second, didn't he already see? He saw, but he didn't really see. The Bible says, he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. In other words, he first, his first look was, look at this great army of men around us. His second look, God opened his eyes, and he saw a heavenly host surrounding that army and surrounding Elisha. They were not going to get to Elisha and to this man because God was there. So my prayer and what I'm trying to do through this series is I'm trying to say, Lord, open their eyes. Let them see. Let them look to the Lord. Open, open your eyes today. See, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, for which cause we faint not. I believe this is 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for which cause we faint not. So why aren't we fainting? Why aren't we falling out in despair? He said, uh, I'll go ahead a couple verses, and he says, while we look. For this cause we faint not, why, while we look. 
not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. What are you looking at today? So that was last week's message. Look at God's greatness more than man's awfulness. What are you talking about more? See, I'm bothered if God's people are talking more about how bad the people of this world are, how bad big tech is. I'm not saying don't talk about it, but it bothers me when they're talking more about how bad man is than they are about how good God is. It bothers me when I hear people talking more and, and, and talking more about the threats that are facing us. I'm not saying don't talk about them. But people are focused more on those threats than they are the promises of Almighty God. Which hold more weight, by the way? What are you talking about more? Focus on, the, on sovereign deity than more on the sovereign deity than on certain disaster. Amen? I love what the psalmist said there again, Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes. See, you've got to determine to do it because our natural tendency is to look down. So number one, quickly, uh, to last week's message, we've got to look up. But how is it today that we're going to stay on course during, during crisis? Go with me there again. I told you to turn to 2 Kings chapter number 18. And begin reading with me, please, in verse number 4. The Bible says, this is talking about what Hezekiah did. He looked upward, but now he's looking inward. The Bible says, he removed the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves. I'm just going to tell you what these are real quick. Well, I'll go and tell you the next one. And break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made, made for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense unto it. And he called it Nehushtan. Now understand this. We were talking earlier about drifting. The nation of Israel and, the, and Judah had drifted off course. How do we know that? Because here's a king that's coming to be the king over God's people, Judah. But what he has to do and finds out and discovers is that there are groves and idols and high places. And that they're worshiping a golden snake. God's people. Now, they didn't end up there overnight, but it was gradual. So, a look inward. He had to deal with the outward idolatry of the people of God. Now, there's not too many of us today who fall into an idolatry as far as actually bowing down to a physical image of stone or something of that nature. But I'm telling you, as human beings, we can allow things to be set up in our hearts and minds that are greater than God or on equal, ter equal turf with God. Folks, he had to take a look inward, and you say, what's this got to do with surviving, you know, possible persecution and possible, you know, this, this siege, this thing that we're going through has everything to do with it. You've got to make sure today, and you've got to examine your heart, and I've got to examine my heart. Are there some idols that have been set up in my heart and in my life? If so, those idols need to be torn down. See, if you want to think about this for a minute, when he mentions there, um, there again, verse number four, 
high places. This is where they worship false gods. They cut down the groves. This is where they would, do a, they would plant a grove of trees and they would worship uh, the goddess of love, uh, of, the, of the Phoenician goddess of love. And I put love in quotation marks because it ain't uh, lovey-dovey. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's an erotic uh, lo love, if you will. It's eros. In other words, God's people are doing the exact same thing, worshiping the exact same things that the heathen are worshiping. And so that's something that as God's people, man, we live in this world just like they did. They saw these gods worshiped and they began to lean toward and gravitate toward the worship of these gods. Why? Because there was something in their sinful nature that helped draw them to that. There is something in their sinful nature that helped draw them to the Phoenician goddess of love. Well, we like this idea of worshiping this goddess with all the permissive things that are enabled through that. But Hezekiah said, you know what? If we're going to survive the Assyrian army coming against us, we're going to have to look up, we're going to have to look within. And we're going to have to say, we're tearing down the idols, God's people. No more. We're no longer worshiping the things of this world. Now, we can be in this world and not of this world, but he tore these things down. Furthermore, he had to break a, a religious relic. This, this brazen serpent was from the days of Moses, and it's a great story. This brazen serpent pictured Christ. This brazen serpent pictured Christ to the point to where it's mentioned in John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. But people took this and actually began to worship the image. See, the not, so not only do we need to get that worldliness out of, our, out of our idolatry and out of our hearts, but also we've got to make sure that we're not worshiping in some kind of dead religious form. Man, we don't need religion today. We need Jesus. <laughs> I mean, man, when it comes down to it, we, we, we need to make sure that our hearts are on Him. There's people that are so hung up on their religion, but I'm telling you, uh, religion is not going to get you through. You need Christ. So that's what Hezekiah did, but let's read on there in verse number four. The Bible says, I'm sorry, read verse number four. Let's read number five. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Notice this, for he clave to the Lord. I mean, he held on tight. He grabbed on to the Lord, and he departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 5, this goes uh, along the same time period, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 5, the Bible says, And said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. So in these two things, he said, If we are going to be able to stay on course, we've got to check the direction we're going into. They had drifted into the, the, the things of the world, the ungodliness of the world. But then, so there was the outward, but then he also said, we need to get some stuff. Can you believe this? Some stuff had actually entered into the holy place of the Lord. And what we allow sometimes is we allow things, maybe not on the outside, but as God's people, we can be begin to let things on the inside of our temple. 
And Hezekiah said, we need to get all that trash out of there. And that's literally what they did. They took it out and they burned it. There was rubbish piled up. There were idols piled up. And on the outside, everything, it still just looked like God's temple. But on the inside, it was unclean. And so Hezekiah said, we've got to get that taken care of. If you today have bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, pride, greed, whatever it may be in your heart today, just like Hezekiah commanded, we need to get it out today. We need to get it out of the holy place and go burn it. The point I'm trying to make is this. Hezekiah understood that if we're going to be able to stand in the day of battle, if we're going to be able to stand and truly make a difference, folks, it can't just be a play in church kind of thing. We need to get real with God. We need to get real about this thing. See, it's not about what people think about you and I. It's what God knows about us. And we need to learn to be honest with God. See, what can happen when we begin to drift and get off course is that we can... Oftentimes we start, the first thing we do is we'll try to deceive people because we don't want people to know how awful we are. But then what eventually happens is we can actually start deceiving ourselves. And we can start saying, well, you know, my sin's not really all that bad. One of the favorites. My sin's not near as bad as that other person's. But the reason my sin is worse than somebody else's sin is because it's going to hurt me. It involves me, amen? And it's affecting my relationship with God. See, and, and that's what this all kind of leads into this morning. They had drifted, but Hezekiah is saying, it's time to return. And child of God, I want to tell you today that you may have drifted because I'm telling you it's a natural thing to do, but I'm telling you it's time to return. We may have successfully kept some things covered and hidden and justified. In fact, one of the prophecies of one of the prophecies that's repeated in regards to the end times that we live in was how that how that the grace of God would be turned into lasciviousness, that actually within the church people would start embracing worldly principles that are against God, that people would start celebrating sin within the church. Folks, no, it is time to get right. It is time to come home, amen? When the enemy is moving in, you want to be certain that you're heading in the right direction and that you have the right relationship with God. And I want to emphasize that, a relationship with God. God today is not trying to set up some rules for you to follow so that you may become worthy of His blessings or His love or His acceptance. No, no, no. Listen, He today, because of who you are in Him, He wants a relationship with you and He wants a good relationship with you. I like what Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Now, listen, you could totally apply this to yourself. I know the thoughts that I think, that I, that, that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end, which is just to say, man, I've got some blessings for you. I've got some victory for you. 
I've got, I've, got, I've got a life for you. I've got the abundant life to borrow, the New Testament term that Jesus used. I've got an expected end for you. That's my thoughts for you. That's my desire for you. But if we drift and allow ourselves to drift, what happens is it interferes with how much God is able to do in our lives. See, it is God's will to lead us through to victory. But sin causes us to lose. Let's go back to that first illustration we opened up with. Sin causes us to lose power. Sin cuts off the communication. Now remember, this is not something that God wants to bring into our life. It's something that, it's choices that we're making. It causes us to lose power. It causes us to begin to drift. It causes us to, to it, it affects our communication. See, what is sin? Sin is going against God's revealed standard. We understand that. And we've all sinned. And we all do sin. Um, yes, sin is breaking God's law. But you need, need to really get this through to your heart and mind today. Sin ultimately is breaking God's heart. Because he's got an expected end. He's got thoughts of peace towards you. He's got thoughts of blessing. You're his child if you're saved. And if you're not saved today, he wants you to become his child today. He loves you. And I'm telling you, it breaks God's heart. Just like a parent. I mean, there's no loving parent in their right mind that when they see their kid doing wrong and they have to correct their child. And by the way, parents, we still need to correct our children. We still need to discipline our children. But there's no joy in that. Our joy is in seeing them do right. You know, I've even, I'm, I'm one of the things, you know, I, I try to think of different ways to communicate with my kids. I'm a lecturer. Y'all pray for my kids. I'm a lecturer. Uh, I try to do better, but, uh, but, uh, but I, I was trying to communicate with one of the kids, and I was saying, there's this kid. Well, it was Evan, okay? And I said, that got his attention. And I said, there's a good Evan and a bad Evan. Right? He's saved. Uh, or he, says, he claims to be saved, I believe him. So I said, there's your old nature, there's your new nature. I said, your old nature is, uh, is against God. Your new nature is for God. Your old nature is going to try to do contrary to what God says and to what I tell you to do. I said, but that new, and I said, our job is to try to get that old, uh, the old Evan kind of in his place. That's not the Evan we want to see rising up. And so this is when he was younger, and I was just trying to use a way to relate to him. And so I'd say, hey, I see that old Evan. I'm hearing that old back talking. Mouth the excuse making Evan. Uh, man, I feel bad now. Don't be a preacher's kid, amen? Or if you do, don't have a dad like me, okay? But, uh, but I just would use that as an illustration. He's a great kid, man. He, I, I'm so proud of that boy. I just want to make that very, very clear. I love him to death. Um, but just like the rest of us, he's a sinner. But I tried to use that. But so there's no joy in, in, in trying to correct a child. There's joy in seeing them corrected. So it's just like God's love for us, okay? Um, God wants to see us do right. God wants to see us live in victory. 
See, sin is basically, again, doing the opposite of God's revealed standard. Uh, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So if you bring this back into the context, you can see why it's important that we have our hearts right, that we look inward, that we tear down the idols, that we get the rubbish out, because, man, we need God anytime. But I'm telling you, you better believe you're going to need God in the days ahead. But you need Him today. So Hezekiah is saying, man, your sin is separating from God. God wants to help, but you're going your own way. See, what is Hezekiah claiming here? A very common verse for many of us. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, so there's our first point, you know, seek my face, second point, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Folks, thriving and reviving is possible, amen? But it's got to be looking up, it's got to be looking in. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 6, here's what Hezekiah told the children of Israel. He said, turn again unto the Lord. Have you got off course? Have you drifted? Turn again. He says in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9, For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away His face from you if ye return unto Him. See, return is a pattern of God's people throughout history. Repentance is another word for return, is necessary because of sin. When Jesus came on this earth, he came preaching a message of repentance. Paul preached a message of repentance. Why? He wants us to turn. He wants us to be on the right course, the course of blessing, the course of success, the course of victory, the course of joy. That's the course God wants us on. Now, why does God feel the way He feels about sin? Do you ever think that God's too hard on sin? A lot of people do. The thing that people have a hard time differentiating sometimes is the difference between the way God feels about sin versus the sinner. It's been all in this message already, isn't it? God loves sinners. Why? Because that's who people are. We're all sinners. But He hates sin. And people sometimes get those two kind of mixed up and, and, and are into one. Now, the, the same way you don't like rotting garbage in your house or dead animals rotting away in your house, that's the same way God doesn't like sin. Does that make you a bad person? Does it make, does it make a surgeon a bad person that he wants a sterile operating room? Why do they want a sterile OR? Because, folks, they understand, they understand the consequences. They understand the contamination that can take place if it's not sterile, the bacteria, the germs that can affect people in the OR. 
The same way you don't want cancer in your body is the same way God doesn't want sin in your life. We need to get the right perspective about sin. Sin is not our friend. Sin is not our pet. Sin is not something that we need to defend. Sin is our enemy. We need to learn to take sides with God against our sin. The outward ones and the inward ones. And I would argue that I've seen more people that know Christ as their Savior ardent and defensive over some of those inner sins. I have people that I think could come about this far from punching me in the mouth if they hear me say to forgive again and to get over their bitterness. Because you don't know what these people did to me. I'm hanging on to my bitterness. I'm hanging on to my anger. Don't you touch it, preacher. And you tell God not to touch it either. I've got a right to this anger. I've got a right to this bitterness. I've got a right to this unforgiveness. That is like going into the operating room or going to the doctor and said, we found a tumor, a malignant tumor, but the good news is we can get it. It's going to be tough, but we can get it. We're going to have to do a surgery, and that would be like you stepping your foot. No, you're not either. You're not touching it. I'm holding on to this. It's kind of like that, only worse. Only worse. People hold on to these things. Sin's not your friend. Now, sin always leads to trouble. The problems, the consequences that our sin brings about cannot be fixed by God until we address the cause of it. I'll say that again. Sin brings about consequences. We don't like the consequences of sin. But a lot of times we want God to fix the consequences of our sin without addressing the issue. Without addressing the sin, the root of the cause. See, those who refuse or neglect to deal with sin God's way they find themselves to dealing with sin's consequences. And here's what they do. We either cover or compound the problem. There's a lot of people in church that cover their sin, cover the consequences, and just keep coming in and smiling. And they just, but you know what they're doing? They're covering it. But it's not really being helped. Nobody knows about my sin, preacher, so I'm good. No, you're not good. Don't wait until people find out about it. Don't wait. Get it right now. Bring it out with God right now. People either cover it or compound it. People turn to drugs, alcohol. People get out of church. Rather than getting right, they just leave church. Does that fix their problem? No, it compounds the problem. People, people, people like to cover. They like to compound if they don't deal with it God's way. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse number 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 John 1, verse 9. I'm talking about staying on course, not drifting. And I just want to let you know something. Imagine that ship out at sea again. I don't know a whole lot about navigating a ship, but I'm pretty sure of one thing. When they're operating those vessels out at sea today, 
I don't think they go, I, I, there's somebody always with those controls. In other words, they can't, just, they can't just set a course and then go take a nap and go wander around the boat. You know why? Because the winds are blowing. Nature. The currents are taking them this way and that way. That's like us. I'm telling you, man, we've got to be vigilant because we drift. That's why it's a wise thing. Man, when you get up in the morning, pray. Get into the Word. Why? Because, man, you need to make sure, because I'm telling you, inevitably, you're going to start off your day kind of like this. Have you ever noticed you start off just like, you start off just going the wrong way a little bit before long, it adds up, doesn't it? You ever get the wrong measurement? You're off a quarter of an inch over here, but by the time you get over here, it's three feet. Right? It adds up. He that covereth this sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 John 1, uh, verse 9. I'm talking about dealing with sin God's way. How do I deal with it, preacher? How do I get back on track? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dealing with it God's way. What's, the, what's God's way? Confessing and forsaking it. Now that, that word confess right there means homologio. Homo meaning the same. Logo talking about words. In other words, it means literally to say the same thing. <laughs> How do we confess sin? Lord, forgive me. I messed up. Lord, forgive me. I got this bad habit. No. Does God call it a mistake? Does God call it a bad habit? No. You know what he calls it? He calls it lying. God, forgive me. I've been a liar. I've been slothful. God, forgive me. I have lusted after a woman in my heart today. I have clicked on pornography again. I have sinned against you, and I need you to forgive me for my adultery in my heart. I need you to forgive me. See, confessing means to call it what God calls it. That's saying the same thing that God says. Oh, I've made a mistake. I've made a mistake. No, you committed adultery. No, you committed fornication, and you need to confess it as, God, forgive me, I've committed fornication. And with your help and grace, not only am I confessing it, but God, I want to forsake it. You say, well, what if I sin again? I would say, when you sin again, you confess it and forsake it again. You get back on course. This isn't a one-time thing, amen? Uh, a recognition of sin, call it what God calls it. Have you ever gone in the wrong direction? Like literally? If you're married, it's really fun when you go in the wrong direction if your wife's with you. Or your husband, depending on... Uh, I, I, can, I can remember years ago, I, if I remember right, I think I was taking Melanie to the airport down in Omaha. And, uh, and I got off on the wrong exit. And whatever stinking road this was, man, it was one of those to where it was like forever before you got to a, uh, you know, uh, and now I was going the wrong way. I've, I've, you want to know what else I've done before? This is embarrassing. I have to admit it. But I've, got, I've been traveling, got off the interstate, stopped at a store, got back on the interstate. <laughs> Don't tell nobody. But I went the wrong stinking direction. 
I got on the wrong ramp. I was supposed to be going east, but I got east and west confused. And I started going the wrong way. It stinks to go the wrong way. It stinks to admit that you've gone the wrong way. But let me tell you something. When you're going the wrong way, the, the quicker you turn around, the better. And the good thing about God is he gives you an opportunity to turn around. Matter of fact, I don't see any of our law enforcement here this morning, so I'll tell you this. Matter of fact, I've been going the wrong direction, not seeing an exit coming up in any time. So you know what? I all of a sudden designate myself as an authorized vehicle. Because I'm anxious to get going back the right way. Amen? And I'm telling you today, God gives you chances to get off on a ramp and come back the right way because that's what he wants you to do. Don't deal with it your way. Deal with it God's way. Folks, the way you're going to stay on course during crisis, the way we're going to be able to thrive and survive and revive is if we are open, looking up to God, looking within, getting our hearts right. Um, I'm going to close with this illustration. And so you can come on up and as you all stand. I'm going to close with this illustration. In Genesis chapter number 32, Jacob wanted a blessing. Jacob wanted a blessing. Not only that, God wanted to bless him. So Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. Now the angel of the Lord finally said, which is the Lord, and the Lord finally said, well, you know what? It's daybreak, I'm gone. But Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. So Jacob wants to be blessed. God wants to bless him. But he's got to be done God's way. So what does God say to Jacob in Genesis 32, verse 27? He asked him a question. What is thy name? What is thy name? You mean to tell me God didn't know his name? No, God knew his name. But do you know what Jacob means? Deceiver, trickster, supplanter. Okay, Jacob, I'll bless you. But I need to ask you something first. What's your name? You know what God, you know what he said? He didn't say mistake, bad habit. No, he said, God, I'll tell you my name. My name is Deceiver. That's who I am. My name is Trickster. And God said, yes, you've confessed it. Now I can bless you. You're not Trickster anymore. You're Prince. Amen. You're Israel. You are going to experience the mighty blessings of God. That's what God wants to do in your life. But you know what you need to say today? You need to say, I'm Jacob.